Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 3, look at verse uh, 17. Maybe the disciples stole the body. No, they were hiding behind closed doors, fearful of their lives. Maybe Jesus simply swooned on the cross. He passed out and revived in the cold tomb. An early doctor came in there, patched him up. No, he was dead. The sword went into his side. Blood and water came out. It's very clear. He was dead. And he's alive again. And he says, because I live, you will live. And his resurrection becomes the prototype for ours. Carl Sagan thought all there was was the cosmos said, in all our searching, the only thing that we found that makes the emptiness bearable is each other, close quote. Look, I like you guys. (laughs) But I got to tell you, if you and I are all we got, we in trouble. (laughs) Amen? I need something higher than us. You might think some people are pretty cool and pretty courageous, but we're all human We need God to intervene for us. The more I live, the more I realize how desperately I need God. And here's the hope. But people who don't have hope uh, say things like this. This is David James Duncan. He writes a book called The River Why. He says, At last the cold crept up my spine. At last it filled me from foot to head. At last I grew so chill and desolate that all thought and pain and awareness came to a standstill. I wasn't miserable anymore. I wasn't anything at all. I was a nothing. A random configuration of molecules. If my heart still beat, I didn't know it. I was aware of only one thing. Next to the gaping fact called death, all I knew was nothing. All I did meant nothing. All I felt conveyed nothing. This was no passing thought. It was a gnawing, palpable emptiness more real than the cold, close quote. Wow, that's amazing. That captures life without God. Philosophers couldn't live with their own philosophies. Many philosophers killed themselves at the end of their lives. You know why? They couldn't live with their own philosophy. There's no God, there's no hope. If we're depending just on me or some superhuman, we're in deep trouble. And it's repeated over and over and over again. And people look at this death and they say, why? Thorns and thistles, weeds. I hate weeds. How many of you hate? There's some weeds. They look like they're alien creatures. (laughs) Yesterday, we were doing the work. I tried to pull a weed. It was growing out of the side of the building. And there were thorns in this. And then there were little green things that were, they were coming up. I mean, it was... I had gloves on and the thorns were penetrating the gloves. That's why you pay teenagers 10 bucks an hour to come. (laughs) Let them deal with the consequences of the fall. And Jesus is dying and they put on him a crown of thorns. Probably harking back to the fall and the curse. And he was cursed for us. Never did these crown of thorns compose so rich a crown as blood runs down from his head and he says, Father, I'll take the blame. 
This is what the cross is about, you guys. This is what redemption is about. This is the Messiah coming in to save us from our own poor choices. But Adam is going to go back to the dust. Adam will live 930 years and for the rest of his life, he probably will never see God's face again. You want to talk about, you know, some of us, we make a mistake and we can't sleep and we may go weeks and months living with the consequences. Imagine being Adam and Eve for 930 years. He never goes back to the garden. He watches things around him die and he knows it's his fault. Wow. But a last Adam is coming prefigured in the garden, and he's going to do what the first Adam failed to do. He's going to live always for God's glory. He will taste the dust of death. He will wear a crown of thorns, and he will bear our sorrows and our griefs. You must know him, or you're going to die without any hope. Woody Allen, a lot of interesting quips come from him. He said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work, I want to achieve immortality through not dying, close quote. (laughs) Woody Allen speaks for a lot of people. He says, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Would you turn in your Bible to Ecclesiastes 12? It's the book right after Proverbs. Psalms, Proverbs. It's in the wisdom literature of your Bible. Ecclesiastes, written Solomon. Uh, another book by Solomon, Ecclesiastes, right after Proverbs. Go to chapter 12. He's um, lamenting life without God, life disconnected from God, and he certainly experienced that. Even though he knew God's wisdom, he blew it. And he says these words. This is Ecclesiastes 12. Uh, Let's see here. Let's look at verse 3. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle, Ecclesiastes 12.3, because they are few. Those who look through windows grow dim. This is speaking of getting older and ears and eyes aren't working so good. The doors on the street are shut as the sounds of the grinding mill is low. What? <laughs> What'd you say? And one will arise at the sound of the bird. You get older and a bird chirps and you wake up. Teenagers, they could sleep through a battle. And all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of, high, of a high place. You get older, you don't want to ride roller coasters anymore. Amen? All God's people said. No? It's not true? You know, my problem with roller coasters, and I've said this before, I start analyzing the roller coaster. And the guy that let me on it, who's controlling the controls, and I'm wondering about his education, and <laughs> what exactly would he do in case of emergency? Terrible thoughts. (laughs) But it's reality. Furthermore, you're afraid of high places that terror is on the road. Drive slower. Almond tree blossoms. Gray hair. But there's there's stuff on the shelf for that. (laughs) The grasshopper. This is sad. Drags himself along. (laughs) And the capperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before this happens, before you die, before the silver cord is broken, the golden bowl is crushed, all images of death. The pitcher by the well is shattered. The wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. And the spirit, 
will return to God who gave it. Go to the book of Romans in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul also lamenting the reality of death and the grave. At the end of chapter 7, he's been talking about his flesh and the principle of death. Romans 7.24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? This is why memorial services and funerals can be a good thing if when you go, you begin to consider your own mortality. I have watched people. I've done more memorial services than I can count. And I have watched people literally wrestle with God in the pews. They know they have to face this. But they're hearing a message of hope in Christ, and I watch them, many of them, wrestle. Paul says, I joyfully, uh, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God, 25, Romans 7. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. On the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Keep reading. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from what? The law of sin and of death. If you are in Christ, you are free. You have hope. You are not burdened by this law because death has been overcome. And from the cross, Jesus says, it is Finished. Now we live in anticipation of what? We'll go down to Romans 8, look at verse 20. Romans 8, 20 says, For the creation, this curse now, was subjected to futility, emptiness, not of its own will, Romans 8, 20, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God put a curse, but it's subjected to emptiness or futility in hope. That the creation also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of, here it is, childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, the guarantee of our redemption, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. What will it be? The redemption of our bodies. Back to Genesis 3. We'll finish it. We're going to live. But we've got to count our days. Lord, Psalm 39.4, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Psalm 39.4, let that teach me to live for the right things and enjoy the days that I have with the wife of my youth. Now the man, back in Genesis 3 verse 20, called his wife's name Eve, expressing more his headship because she was the mother of all the living. Now, even though there's this curse, Adam knows she's going to have kids. He's standing on the promises. God's already said you're going to have pain in what? Childbirth. That means future generations are going to come. So he named her Eve, which means mother. She was mother of all the living, but Eve actually is related to live or the idea of a life giver. And the word mother in Hebrew is M-E-M. It's the word or the name Emma, and it means a life giver. Same idea, the strong water in the Hebrew picture language, M, mother, or the life giver. My wife is the mother of our children. I praise God for her. Husbands, we need to do that. We need to thank God that our wives are the mother of our children. Philip Melanchthon, one of the reformers, said, Eve's life is the seal of grace. It is the hope of future generations, even the hope of the Messiah coming and now with all the curses and all the ugly stuff, something beautiful happens. 
And the Lord God made garments of skin, Genesis 3.21, for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. The fig leaves were not enough. Just imagine a windy day. Not enough. (laughs) Not enough. So he's going to clothe them with something like a robe-like garment that may have gone down to their knees or even to their ankles. Some tie this together with the garment of the the Jews or even the priests. A full garment, that's what God does. Covers their shame, covers their nakedness. But to do that, he makes that from garments of skin. And the implication is two animals die. Adam and Eve have not known death. Adam got the privilege of naming all the animals. He named the sheep and the lambs and so forth. And now, probably right before their eyes, maybe Jesus before Bethlehem kills two animals. And they must have been horrified because now they're seeing the consequences of their sin right before them in the shedding of blood. This is Marcus Dodds. This is profound. Listen to these words. He says, It is also to be remarked that the clothing which God provided was in itself different from what man had thought of. Adam took leaves from an inanimate, unfeeling tree. God deprived an animal of life, that the shame of his creature might be relieved. This was the last thing Adam would have thought of doing. To us, life is cheap and death familiar. But Adam recognized death as the punishment of sin. Death was to early man a sign of God's anger. And he had to learn that sin could be covered, but not by a bunch of leaves snatched from a bush as he passed by, but only by pain and only by blood. Sin cannot be atoned for by any mechanical action, nor without expenditure of feelings. Suffering must ever follow wrongdoing. From the first sin to the last, the track of the sinner is marked with blood. It was made apparent that sin was a real and deep evil. They didn't die on the spot, but something else did to cover them. And that by no easy and cheap process could the sinner be restored. Men have found that their sin reaches beyond their own life and person, that it inflicts injury and involves disturbance and distress, that it changes utterly our relation to life and to God, and that we cannot rise above its consequences save by the intervention of God himself, by an intervention which tells us of the sorrow he suffers on our account. And God, apparently in the garden, kills maybe two sheep as a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And imagine being Adam and Eve now. Something else has to die for you, to cover you. And those skins that are mentioned here are mentioned in Leviticus 7-8 as the skins that were given to the priest after an offering was made. So it sure seems that animals did die there to bring what? To cover us. And John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, look, there's the Lamb of God who, what? Takes away the sin of the world. He clothes us. If you are in Christ, you are covered with his righteousness. What was the cost? His blood. What was the cost? His life. What was the cost? Him bearing your shame. Him taking your punishment. Him carrying your sorrows. Him being, experiencing alienation from God. The darkness of judgment for sin He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God, covered, cleansed by him. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, Genesis 3.22. This is divine dialogue, I believe, within the members of the Trinity. You can reference chapter 1, verse 26. He knows good and evil, and now lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life 
and eat and live forever. God's going to stop access to the tree. You say why? Because the tree had some sort of special power, medicinal. Uh, it gave life. And God says, I don't want him to take from it and live forever. You say why? R. Kent Hughes comments. Adam and Eve's bodies were alive, but they were dead. As residents of the garden, they could have eaten from the tree of life and perpetuated their body, bodily existence indefinitely. The garden would have become hell on earth, populated with the undying dead, forever living and forever dead. Close quote. Wow. It's an act of love that he drives them out because he doesn't want them to live forever in a fallen state. And he knows if they do, they'll probably not seek him. So he drives them out. And now I would imagine Adam and Eve for the rest of their life are going to long to see God's face again. And that's going to come in the afterlife, but not now. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Out he goes, never to return. I don't know what that moment felt like for them, but it had to be heart-wrenching. All they knew, gone. You're out. And God did something radical He drove the man out, 24, final verse, and at the east, the direction of the rising sun, and also, I believe, it ties to the temple, I'll tell you that in a second. He drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, seemed to be the entrance, he stationed the cherubim, which were very prominent, by the way, in the tabernacle, especially in the temple, and the flaming sword, which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Two cherubim were posted at the, apparently there was only one entrance into the garden. It was on the east. And if you get to experience um, Jerusalem, you get, if you take a tour, you come up the Mount of Olives and there's a little sitting place up there. And you can get a view of what's believed to be the Temple Mount. And this is the road on on the Mount of Olives to the east that Jesus went down uh, the day of the triumphal entry when they were lauding him. They were calling him the Messiah, and the, and the rabbis, the, the Pharisees were saying, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, if they are quiet, remember, the rocks will cry out. And he heads in, and he's going, going to go probably through the eastern gate. And the entrance to the, to the garden was in the east, and there's a parallel between the Garden of Eden and the temple complex, or the tabernacle, God's special presence and dwelling. And now there's two cherubim, and I would imagine they're pretty intimidating. They're, they're on top of the ark of the covenant, angels' wings touching. There's, there's uh, frescoes of them in the later temple. The cherubim are prominent, and there's a sword that guards the way of the tree of the life, and it's not wielded apparently by the cherubim. It's, it's solo. It's on its own. It's, notice the language. He stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned in every direction. Apparently it was in front of the tree or at the entrance of the garden and it was all on its own. You try to time it, you know, it's not going to work. You're out. <laughs> and you're not coming back in. And the flaming sword pictures God's justice and holiness guarding the way, an act of love. And when Jesus died on the cross, He entered the temple area and he cleaned it out and they put him on a cross and when he died bearing our shame, the curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies was cut by the sword of God from top to bottom and the way is open. And if you're a Christian, the way is open. Amen? We now stand justified at peace with God 
and we have access to the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, but sin, please don't miss this, has consequences. You're covered, you're cleansed, but if you decide to disobey God, you're going to get consequences. That's what this chapter teaches. God lets them live with the consequences, but he says, even though you've blown it, I will cover you, I will cleanse you. The gospel ultimately makes us blameless before God, but don't be mistaken. Sin still has consequences, and they follow what we do. So it is to the Christian to rest in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, to know righteousness is only achieved by trusting in him and him alone for your salvation, but it is also for the Christian to follow him because the one who follows him will not walk in darkness. They will have what? The light of life. Revelation 22. Worship team, if you'd come up. Revelation 22. Please go there. Last chapter of your Bible. I want to leave you with a little section on hope. There's a connection between Genesis and Revelation, the beginning and the end. Here's the end. We've seen the curses. Now we're going to see the curse lifted. Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Revelation 22, 2. In the middle of its street, this is the New Jerusalem now when the resurrection's happened, everything's done. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, its back, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his bondservants, that's you and me, shall serve him. And they, or we, shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall no longer be any night. They shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them. And they shall reign for how long, saints? Forever and ever. And he said to me, because sometimes these words sound too good to be true, don't they? He said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God, the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel, this is God's message to us, to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, says Jesus, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the fact that you cover us despite the curse, there's a covering, there's a cleansing in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you make us new in him, a new creation in Christ. But there's still a responsibility and it is to live for that, that risen Savior that paid so much for our ransom. It's to live for eternal things. And Father, we all fight it. Constantly we fight selfishness and pride and lust and unforgiveness and so many things that come at us. The only answer is to take our refuge in you and find our strength, our power, our zeal from your power. So help that saint that might be just kind of barely hanging on today. Let them know that power is available. There's a throne of grace. We might receive mercy and help in our time of need. Our great high priest, he blazed a trail with his blood. Thank you, Lord, that it's paid in full, that the way is open. You took the sword for me. Lord, I pray for that person who may be on the fence in their walk with you, undecided. And to be undecided is to be decided. And if that's you, I would just challenge you 
trust in Christ today, trust in, in the cross and the resurrection. It's, it's real, it's true. Believe on him and him alone for your salvation. And Lord, for all of us, help us to walk with you day by day, to find hope even in the midst of our labors and toils, to know how the story ends, even though the beginning was not so great, the ending is going to be glorious. Until that day comes, help us to hold on to you, for you will never let us go. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. As much as we, as humans, we saw, and we can see in our first parents, they tried to do something, fig leaves, right? Not very, mm. <laughs> not the, the most complete covering, for yeah. sure. And they made an, a, you could call it an attempt, a feeble attempt at that, but God clothed them. And if you receive Jesus Christ, we're, that's the kind of language that's used, right? We get clothed in his righteousness. Mm. And how tiresome is that, that we try to clothe ourselves in our, righteous, our own righteousness, uh, try to hide things, um, always trying to remember the lie in order to cover up, to say we didn't do something. Um, and we can see that is our sin nature. You know, we raise children, we have children, and we try to teach them from early on the, you know, the difference between good and bad. And so when a toddler or a child, when they understand they do something and you ask them, did you do this? And the first thing they want to say is, no, I didn't do this. And so we spend more time trying to teach them what is right. And so, you know, as hereditary as it may be, you know, uh, we from early on learned that we just want to spend a lot of work to cover ourselves and, you know, deny things. And one of the beauties that we've discovered, Oscar, just as we've read the Bible, is grace. And grace is such an amazing gift of God. And it's something that we've hopefully taught our kids over the years, too, that they made a mistake and maybe they deserve this, but we gave grace. And, you know, that's not always an easy balancing act as a parent, but but God gives us grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's, it's God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, covering us, cleansing us, clothing us. And it doesn't mean that we don't have consequences when we sin. It doesn't mean that God won't discipline us when we sin. But ultimately, we're going to be forgiven, not because of our performance, but because of what Christ did for us. The pre-evangel, once again, he was crushed on the heel. He took the blow. And it wasn't finally determinative, right? I mean, it was impossible for death to hold him. But he took a serious blow, uh, if you want to put it this way, from the serpent. He took, you know, it wasn't... Ultimately, it was the father that was pleased to crush him, but we know that the enemy was working and all of that. But ultimately, Jesus took even even a nail in his heel, right? A nail in, in, through his foot um, to, to crush the serpent's head by paying the ransom price for all of our mistakes. And that's the gospel that we proclaim. Yes. We, don't, we don't proclaim a gospel that's by good works. If it were, we'd all be in trouble. But we proclaim a gospel that... The one who is innocent and holy died in your stead Amen. to give you life. That's what it's about. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.